Due to the nature of this episode, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of physical and sexual assault, police brutality, murder, and suicide. Consider this when deciding how and when you'll listen. Who doesn't want to be a TV star? Let's be honest with ourselves. Plenty of us would like to be famous. There's something glamorous about having your face on magazine covers, wearing luxurious clothes on the red carpet, and seeing yourself depicted on the big screen. Imagine a scenario like this. Hollywood producers approach you and say they want to make a show about your life. They ask you all sorts of questions about your job, how you get along with your coworkers, what your boss is like, and so on. Even if you're generally an honest person, you may care about what other people think of you, so your answers all make you look good. Or at the very least, like your life is fun and interesting. You focus on your favorite responsibilities, the ones you're good at, and the amusing hijinks around the office. You don't talk about the time you repeated a rumor that hurt a colleague's feelings, or recount the time you made a clerical error that almost got you fired. So the TV producers end up making a show based on the flattering stories you tell about yourself. That might make for a fun show to watch, but you know it's misleading. This isn't that big of a problem if you work as a paper salesperson or a nightly news producer or a bartender. Sure, The Office, The Mary Tyler Moore Show, and Cheers can all be unrealistic. But it's not like the general public needs to be informed about the reality of those careers. However, it's different with cop shows, especially because viewers often treat these programs more like documentaries than dramas. Have you ever wondered what police shows were conveniently leaving out or what they're playing up for drama? Or how these bits of misinformation influence the way we think. See, cop dramas aren't just escapism. They might fundamentally change the way we see the world. Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, a Spotify podcast. Every Wednesday, we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals for free on Spotify. Today, we're exploring how police have censored and influenced programming about the police. Each time you watch Gil Grissom save the day on CSI, you may think you're just unwinding. But shows like this could shape your perception of the world. And real-life police officers have influenced the way some of these stories are told for their own purposes. This episode will examine Hollywood history to see how the police became so involved in film and television. 
We'll see the impact this has on the general public and dive into why entertainment executives and law enforcement are so willing to collaborate. Turns out, they have a lot to gain from the partnership. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Bottling everything up can be really bad for you in the long run and have some terrible consequences. And this isn't a conspiracy theory. The more you let things build up, the more of a toll it can take on your mental health. I know for me, in dealing with some traumatic events in my life, I had the tendency to think, well, they've already happened. I'm okay. Other people have it worse. It doesn't matter much. And through therapy, was really able to understand how those events impacted me and changed how I'd started to see the world in ways that weren't great and were sometimes making my life worse. So therapy or dealing with any traumatic events you've had might really help you in terms of how you can live in the present moment now. So if you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also really easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com conspiracy today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash conspiracy. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. If you're interested in crazy stories from the wild world of organized crime, scams, gangs, cartels, mafias, drug dealers, and everything fun like that, have we got a podcast for you. The Underworld Podcast is hosted by two conflict journalists, Danny Gold and Sean Williams, who have reported on all sorts of dangerous people in dangerous places. Every week, they bring you a new episode on international organized crime from a new corner of the globe. You can find the Underworld podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Take a moment to think about everything you know about criminal investigations. How do police secure crime scenes? What evidence do they gather and how do they use it? What rights do suspects have? Now think about how you knew the answers to these questions. Odds are you didn't learn this information in school or consult with a lawyer. You likely didn't base your answers on firsthand experience either. Many people have an idea of what police work looks like based on what they see in TV and movies. Or what they hear in true crime podcasts. Today, there are more cop shows than any other kind of drama on broadcast networks. Even retired programs that aren't making new episodes, like Criminal Minds and Bones, top viewership charts for streaming services. What you probably don't know is, many cop shows employ current and former law enforcement officers to consult on their storylines. And... 
cops are only human, so these officers generally don't want to look bad. They tend to paint a flattering image of their profession, and they may push back against story ideas that are critical of their colleagues. This means the final product we're seeing on TV can have a pro-police bias, meaning the millions of people who tune in to cop shows aren't just watching a one-hour drama, they're potentially consuming police propaganda. Which can be dangerous. Misunderstanding how the police operate can be a matter of life or death. We'll explore that more later, but first, let's look at how law enforcers collaborate with Hollywood's biggest players. In the early 20th century, the defining image of the police in the media was the Keystone Cops. They were an ensemble of inept, clumsy officers who were featured in a number of slapstick comedies. When they pursued a suspect, they were bound to crash into a fellow officer, get tangled in a clothesline, or bump into a ladder. When they eventually caught up to the alleged criminal, they often realized they'd been chasing the wrong person. Their influence spread rapidly throughout Hollywood, and soon police comedies were landing the biggest stars of the era, specifically Charlie Chaplin. In the film Easy Street, Chaplin played an unhoused individual turned cop. He saved his lover from dangerous bandits, but not through any skill or policing prowess. He accidentally sat on a needle, which injected him with extraordinary powers. Suffice it to say, the movies didn't do much to portray the police as those who actually serve or protect the public. And real-world police officers were upset that their profession was being openly mocked. In 1910, the world's largest group of cops released a statement criticizing the movie business. Known as the International Association of Chiefs of Police, or IACP, the organization was frustrated by how, quote, the police are sometimes made to appear ridiculous. The court seemed sympathetic to their plight and aware of just how powerful movies were when it came to shaping public opinion. A few years after the IACP statement, the Supreme Court ruled on a case called Mutual Film Corporation versus Industrial Commission of Ohio. After hearing the arguments, Associate Justice Joseph McKenna wrote that films were capable of, quote, evil. By a unanimous vote, the judges declared movies were no longer entitled to free speech under the First Amendment. They essentially legalized censorship in Hollywood. For the next 37 years, states had to approve films before they were screened. If the authorities didn't like how cops were portrayed in a movie, they could ban theaters from showing the film and arrest anyone who played it anyway. Different states had different censorship boards, each with their own standards. So New York's film board might approve a movie, while authorities in Virginia ruled against that same production. Filmmakers either had to make different versions of their movies for each state, or produce something that was tame enough to be accepted everywhere. Backed into a corner, Hollywood decided to censor itself under a set of rules called the Hayes Code. Under this code, filmmakers were warned to be careful about making, quote, 
titles or scenes having to do with law enforcement or law enforcing officers. In other words, if your movie made cops look bad, it could be censored. So Hollywood came up with an ingenious plan. Hire cops to advise on its projects. Maybe they figured if the police were signing off on their work, they'd be less likely to prohibit it. Suddenly, everyone from retirees to active duty officers had a say in Hollywood screenplays. This included the 1948 police film, He Walked by Night. No need for a spoiler alert here. We won't talk about the plot. The main thing you need to know is the movie starred Jack Webb, who played a forensics investigator. While he was preparing for the role, Webb met an LAPD detective who'd been hired as a technical advisor for the film. Their conversations inspired Webb to make a show called Dragnet, where each episode was influenced by a real crime. This may not sound that revolutionary. We've all seen plenty of rip-from-the-headlines-style stories. But in the 1940s, TV was still a new medium, and true crime narratives weren't as common. To come up with ideas, Webb struck a deal with the LAPD's head of publicity and their chief, William Parker. Remember Parker's name. He'll be important later. According to a retrospective by writer Alyssa Rosenberg for The Washington Post, the department would help Webb however he needed in exchange for veto power over any creative choices they didn't like. Essentially, LAPD cops shared stories about their jobs. Webb wrote about them in his scripts, and when he finished a draft, he sent it to the LAPD's Public Information Division for review. If they took issue with a plot point, they could shut the whole episode down. The arrangement seemed fair enough. Webb got his inside scoop on real crime stories. According to Rosenberg, in return, a former LAPD detective said the force allowed Dragnet to, quote, shoot wherever they wanted. The thing is, anytime directors need to film a scene in public, the show will ask police to secure the location. They might need to shut down traffic or prevent pedestrians from walking in front of the cameras. Or perhaps they want security to keep overzealous fans away. The perks didn't stop there. If Webb wanted a scene with a lot of uniformed cops, real officers showed up to work as extras. They used actual squad cars and equipment on screen. Basically, Webb's series had an extra level of authenticity and they saved money that would have otherwise gone to renting props or costumes. In exchange, the LAPD got a lot more control over their public image. Millions of viewers watched Dragnet's Sergeant Joe Friday save the day, week after week, and that influenced the way they thought and felt about the real police. The show's massive success inspired other law enforcement departments to develop their own TV programs. California Highway Patrol's commissioner told his public relations office to, quote, get us a show like Dragnet. That led to the 50s series Highway Patrol. It starred Oscar-winning actor Broderick Crawford and was produced by Vernon Clark. Like Webb, the producer on Highway Patrol ran his episodes by an active service patrolman and a retired officer. Clark encouraged them to share any notes, no matter how minor, 
and invited them on set for every scene. FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover wanted in on the action, too. In 1965, he teamed up with ABC to collaborate on a series aptly titled The FBI. As Rosenberg points out in the Washington Post, during the nine years the show was on the air, the real-life Bureau wiretapped and blackmailed civil rights leader Martin Luther King Jr. Of course, the fictional agents in the FBI never engaged in unethical behavior. But here's the thing. Gradually, those old censorship laws were rolled back, and producers eventually had the legal right to portray cops however they wanted. So the collaboration between Hollywood and law enforcement changed over time, but not by much. Many cop shows continued the practice of hiring at least one former or current police officer as a consultant. It still happens today. This collaboration between Hollywood and the police perpetuates a power dynamic, one that makes entertainment writers hesitant to criticize law enforcement too harshly. One of Law & Order's former writers and producers, David Slack, was interviewed for a 2020 op-ed for the New York Times and said, quote, There was always the sense that if we told stories that reflected too badly on the police, the NYPD could make it very difficult for us to shoot in New York. Remember, they are the ones mitigating permits and providing security for filming locations, after all. So at some point, there were fears that the relationship between Hollywood and the police could cross the line. Is it possible that law enforcement officials weren't just seizing an opportunity for free PR, but instead actively interfering with those who dared to criticize them? If so, that raises another question. Why go to all this trouble? Of course, no one wants to be disparaged in public, but what if the police didn't only care about their feelings getting hurt? What if they saw Hollywood as a way to change hearts and minds and manipulate viewers like me and you? Coming up, how films and television can shape public discourse. Now back to the story. A creative project tends to be a reflection of the people who worked on it. And it's typically in everyone's best interest to make themselves look good. It's human nature to flatter yourself, and by and large, it's generally harmless. But when cop shows manipulate the truth, they're influencing people's understanding of the legal system, a system that has major power over how we live our daily lives. If you've watched your fair share of cop shows, you might be under the impression that you have to wait 24 to 48 hours before you can report someone missing. That alleged waiting period can be helpful if writers are trying to create more conflict in a story, but the information itself simply is not true. According to Linnea Miller, a detective lieutenant in La Crosse, Wisconsin, there's no time limit to report a missing person. The 24 to 48 hour rule is just a myth that's been perpetuated by cop shows. A dangerous myth at that. When someone waits 24 to 48 hours to report a missing person, 
they're actually squandering the best window police have to track that person down. Plus, during those first 48 hours, witnesses' memories are clearer and cops have an easier time gathering evidence, which is why it's best to call authorities right away if you believe someone has gone missing. The disappearance myth is just one of the many creative liberties Hollywood's taken to make their shows more exciting. Other dramatic embellishments include altering facts to make the police appear overly heroic. Here's a stat for scope. According to a study done by authors out of St. John Fisher College and Wayne University in 2015, police only arrest a suspect in about 30% of all crimes. To be fair, murder cases are higher, between 50 to 60%. But the study found that police in TV shows are way more successful than that. Their clearance rate is 90%. Even when real-life cops make an arrest, the suspect usually agrees to a plea deal, meaning 97% of criminal cases never make it to trial. But that truth would make for boring TV. As comedian John Oliver quipped in an episode of Last Week Tonight, nobody wants to watch a show where 97% of episodes end with two lawyers striking a deal in a windowless room. Oliver was especially critical of how shows like Law & Order can distort the truth. The show's creator, Dick Wolf, said he was an avid viewer of Dragnet and once described himself as, quote, unabashedly pro-law enforcement. Some cop shows tend to be especially manipulative when it comes to issues about race and policing. They often downplay its significance or ignore it altogether. In one 1968 episode of Dragnet called Public Affairs DR07, a black man criticizes the LAPD for engaging in police brutality against people of color. In response, Sergeant Joe Friday says occasionally a bad apple slips through or a good apple turns bad. Later in the same episode, A Latino man complains he was rejected for a job with the LAPD due to his skin color. Sergeant Friday assures the applicant the department didn't discriminate based on race. In real life, when Dragnet was on the air, the real LAPD was run by William H. Parker. Remember him? He's the guy who first agreed to share true crime stories with writers in exchange for the power to censor episodes. Well, according to former cop Glenn Souza, under Parker's leadership, the LAPD was often segregated and, by his own words, extremely racist. We don't have to take Souza's word for it. In her book, William H. Parker and the Thin Blue Line, author Alyssa Sarah Kramer said Parker avoided hiring black officers. Any person of color brought onto the force before his tenure was forbidden from having white partners. He even occasionally used racist and bigoted language on the record. And it's not like these issues went away after Parker left the force. While newer series occasionally showed bad cops and criticized law enforcement, they still tend to glorify police brutality. In Law & Order, one of the lead characters, Detective Elliot Stabler, consistently loses his composure around suspects. 
In his pursuit of justice, Stabler has a tendency to rough them up during interrogations. This is a clear violation of human rights, but some shows depict police brutality as an effective way to gain key information. They make it seem like police are following their guts to ensure justice is served. But the notion of police trusting their gut is more complicated in real life because it can take the form of racial bias. According to a recent report by the Pew Research Center, black adults are about five times more likely to report they've been unfairly stopped by the police because of their race or ethnicity. But that's not the story that makes it to the screen, largely because the people who are writing these narratives are rarely black. A study conducted by Color of Change from 2016 to 2017 analyzed 26 scripted crime series. They found an overwhelming majority of the writers were white men. NCIS, in particular, had a writing staff that was 100% white. Between police consulting on shows like these and primarily white writers penning the scripts, it's no wonder that these series stray so far from reality, which is a problem because when it comes to cop shows, regular viewers have a hard time separating fact from fiction. More than 40% of Americans reportedly believe crime shows were somewhat or very accurate. In that 2015 study done by St. John Fisher College and Wayne University, researchers found people who watched crime dramas were more likely to believe it's justified when officers use force. That's especially problematic when you consider that many of the people watching these shows are actual cops. Warren Light, the former executive producer of Law & Order SVU, heard some police officers were learning how to handle sexual assault cases by watching his program. In all fairness, SVU actress Mariska Hargitay said some fans learned a positive lesson from watching the series. They actually credited the show with teaching them what to do after a sexual assault. They felt the show empowered them to report the incident to the police and felt less alone in their experience. Unfortunately, the real NYPD isn't as successful as the fictional department on Law & Order SVU. In 2022, their clearance rate with sex crime cases was only 31%, meaning less than one in three reports get solved. A different study found that out of 150 of the NYPD's rape cases in a two-year period, only 6% resulted in an arrest. These rates were so bad, the federal government investigated the NYPD's Special Victims Unit in June 2022. As of this episode's recording, we are still awaiting their findings. So, at best, cop shows educate viewers about their rights, but ignore law enforcement's failures. At worst, they make police brutality seem acceptable and perpetuate dangerous myths. There's strong evidence that crime shows affect the way people think about law enforcement. But does that mean Hollywood is in the police's pocket? Or are cops the ones who are being played? Coming up, 
Hollywood changes the narrative on policing. Now back to the story. In the last several decades, Hollywood has produced numerous TV shows and movies about cops, often with their creative input. And for the most part, it was a win-win, at least as far as the creators are concerned. In the 50s, producers were able to get cool stories, film permits, and maybe access to equipment or squad cars. Meanwhile, police got a PR boost when they were depicted as on-screen heroes. It sure can seem like there was a dark conspiracy at play, one with roots in the dawn of film and television. It's reasonable for viewers to wonder if anything on TV is safe to watch, even today. But if Hollywood only cared about making the police look good, no one would ever make any movies or shows where cops seem troubled or dangerous. However, entertainment is full of stories where the police aren't the good guys. It all goes back to the early 1970s, when Detective Sergeant Joseph Wamba was working at the LAPD. He grew disillusioned with his profession and wrote a novel called The New Centurions. Unlike the upstanding Sergeant Joe Friday from Dragnet, Wamba's book featured three LAPD officers whose work took a psychological toll, driving them to alcoholism, affairs, and suicide. The New Centurions was a New York Times bestseller. Producers saw an opportunity to cash in on the fictional story's popularity, regardless of how unlikable it made cops out to be. The year after its publication, it was adapted into a feature film. The New Centurions paved the way for a new subgenre, police corruption movies. Shortly after Wamba's book adaptation, Al Pacino starred in the hit film Serpico. The movie was based on NYPD detective Frank Serpico, who famously testified about the corruption he witnessed among the force. Right as movies were becoming a little more critical of cops, Hollywood stars found another outlet to speak candidly about the police, stand-up comedy. Police officers don't have the same kind of leverage in comedy clubs as they do on set. Comedians don't need cops to help write jokes or for them to shut down streets so they can perform. All they need is a microphone. Remember earlier when we were discussing an old episode of Dragnet? The main character, Sergeant Friday, downplayed the severity of police brutality by making it sound like the problem was limited to one or two bad apples. Comedian Chris Rock offered his own take on the bad apple narrative in his 2018 special, Tambourine. He said, I know it's hard being a cop, but some jobs can't have bad apples. Everybody's got to be good. Like pilots. American Airlines can't be like, most of our pilots like to land. We just got a few bad apples that like to crash into mountains. A clip of that joke went viral and received 1.4 million views. Clearly, it resonated with people. Rock's comedy special was released by Netflix, where you can also find the 1979 special Richard Pryor Live in Concert. Pryor was one of the most prolific black comedians of the 20th century. 
In his 1974 album, he commented on how dangerous it can be for black people to be pulled over, even for minor traffic violations. He demonstrated how careful drivers have to be to avoid upsetting trigger-happy police officers. He slowly enunciated and gestured, I am reaching into my pocket for my license. After a performance, Detroit cops told the comedian they'd recently pulled over a black driver who actually recited Pryor's line. But here's something to consider. The fact that a major streaming service like Netflix can have both stand-up comedy portraying anti-police sentiment and traditional cop dramas like NCIS indicates that maybe Hollywood isn't involved in some ongoing conspiracy involving the police. That's true. Instead, maybe it implies that some producers favor capitalism a bit more than others. Maybe some of them don't mind how cops are portrayed, as long as their projects attract mainstream audiences, who in turn make them money. Police procedurals garner huge ratings, and their simplicity makes them popular overseas. In other words, Hollywood could make even more money by selling broadcast rights to foreign markets. Perhaps that's really why the crime genre dominates the entertainment industry money. To stay in business, studios have to turn a profit, and content about cops tends to be a sure bet. In 2020, those programs found themselves at odds with a growing social movement. In May of that year, Minnesota police officers arrested a 46-year-old black man named George Floyd. During the arrest, they pinned him to the ground and restricted his breathing, ultimately suffocating him to death. A video of Floyd's homicide was watched over 1.4 billion times in two weeks. It came on the heels of other recent headlines about fatal police brutality against black men and women, like Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor. In the aftermath of Floyd's death, public trust on law enforcement dropped to a record low. Although police shows continue to air, Hollywood may need to reckon with its most popular television genre or risk fading into obscurity. Of course, there's no shortage of other kinds of stories they could tell. Romance, comedy, documentaries, cartoons, musicals, family dramas, the list goes on and on. But like police dramas, some of those narratives are developed with a little outside help. Next time you buy a movie ticket, you may expect to turn your mind off for two hours while snacking on some popcorn. But without realizing it, you might be making yourself a target for propaganda. From the U.S. military. Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. We'll be back next time to explore the military's involvement in the movie industry. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify podcasts for free on Spotify. We're here with a new episode every Wednesday. Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories is a Spotify podcast. 
Our head of programming is Julian Boireau. Our supervising sound designer is Russell Nash, with Nick Johnson as our head of production and quality control by Lisa Marie Gallegos. Ryan O'Leary-Jones is our supervising editor, and Derek Jennings is our writing lead. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Ben Hanani, edited by Angela Jorgensen and Lori Marinelli, fact-checked by Kevin Johnson, researched by Mickey Taylor, produced by Joshua Kern, with sound design by Anthony Valsic. Our hosts are Molly Brandenburg and me, Carter Roy. 